Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all you Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson. With me, as always, the one who knows everything there is to know about crypto. (laughs) That's not it. No. (laughs) No, he knows a little bit. He knows enough to tell you what's going on in the crypto world this weekend. Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston, that's what we're going to get into today, some crypto news and some other news with uh well gas prices now average over five dollars a gallon Mm-mm-mm. in the united states of america and then also eggs are up 38 <laughs> percent milk and bread also um the anytime you have a compromise when republicans and democrats come together it's never for anything good by the way It's not for anything that's going to increase your liberty, that's going to take away the powers of the government or anything. It's always a compromise in the wrong direction. And there has, in fact, been a compromise made on gun legislation in the Senate where they are. Bipartisan support is probably the worst word. That's the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. Worst two words that are in the English dictionary. Right. I mean, it's it's right up there with some of the other words that we can't say on the podcast, but it's right up there. So anyway, this is Good Morning Liberty, where we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meeting every single day of the week when we want to. So if you are enjoying this so far, which how could you not, make sure you smash that follow button, leave a rating and review, and go to joingmail.com so you can hang out with us live with all the fine people that are on both sides of the Chuck versus Nate argument. All right. So, Charlie, the first thing we're going to talk about is going to be the Bitcoin crash. And then we're going to, you know, listen, as libertarians, we like the idea of getting away from our fiat backed by nothing, heavily inflated currency. And that's why we heavily favor moving over to a different currency that's uh, backed by completely nothing at all whatsoever we're not even talking about a gold standard but it has a fixed amount of inflation so we like that part of it okay and also it's decentralized it's decentralized so that's the other good part about it all right so i'm not i'm not just gonna hate on all the crypto people the whole time but what happened over the weekend here charlie all right from yahoo crypto firms celsius and binance halt withdrawals as bitcoin plummets i believe there are a few others as well Uh, but these are two pretty big ones binance being pretty huge Cryptocurrency companies on Monday blocked users from withdrawing funds as the value of Bitcoin and other prominent digital assets plunged. Crypto leading company Celsius Network announced late on Sunday night that it would freeze all withdrawals and transfers due to extreme market conditions. The move sparked an enormous sell-off with the price of Bitcoin falling 12% to as low its level since December of 2020. Uh, Now down at trading around 23,000. It dipped all the way down to, what was that, 22.5, 22.7, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, pretty big pretty big dip there. Uh, Dippa. What's it coming down from? I can't even read the numbers over there. It was like 69-something was the high. I can't even read that stuff. 65, maybe 66, somewhere up there. So that's not good. Mm-mm. As far as, um, you know, if you've got a bunch of money in Bitcoin or a lot of other cryptocurrencies, then, uh, then that's not good. Uh, Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange by trading volume, said Monday morning that it was freezing Bitcoin withdrawals due to a stuck transaction causing a backlog. <laughs> Convenient. Yeah. 
<laughs> we have a stuck transaction. It's stuck. We can't squeeze it through there. It's, it's too big. Celsius, which says it has 1.7 million customers, made its announcement after numerous cryptocurrencies tanked over the weekend. Ethereum, another popular digital coin, plunged nearly 32% from Friday to Monday morning. 32% Ooh. over Ooh. the weekend. Quote, we are taking this necessary action for the benefit of our entire community in order to stabilize liquidity and operations while we take steps to preserve and protect assets, uh, Cel uh, Celsius wrote in a blog post. Red hot inflation and subsequent interest rate hikes from the Federal Reserve have driven investors away from risky, risky assets like cryptocurrencies. Signs of trouble in the crypto market emerged last month when so-called stable coins that are supposed to be pegged to the price of the dollar and other traditional currencies briefly lost value is how they end that sentence. <laughs> what they should have said is slash are completely bankrupt. Yeah, they lost 99.999999% of their... Luna no longer exists. And by basically. briefly, they mean in the grand scheme of time that has That's existed <laughs> in the universe. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a very brief amount of time. They've lost value. So to put this in perspective, you have a currency and you have banks for that currency, essentially, and they have frozen withdrawals for their customers for that currency. Now, let's act like that's not Bitcoin. Let's act like it's a different currency. Like the dollar. What would you say about that currency? Or what would you say about that overall market or what's going to happen as a result of this? It's essentially a digital run on the bank. Exactly. And they're freezing withdrawal because they don't have the liquidity to actually give you the dollars for your crypto. Which then causes more of a panic and causes mm -hmm. more people to go withdraw. Uh, what should have happened is the the uh, federal Bitcoin reserve should have said, hey, we guarantee all of your Bitcoin. You don't have to go run and take all of it away. There's plenty of Bitcoin in our made up banks That's out not there. what we need. No. <laughs> okay. We can, we can do that. Uh, no, that's uh, that's just what they should have done during the uh, the old crisis back in the Great Depression. But anyway, um, yeah, well, this well, this isn't good. Well, I, like you and I may disagree on this, but what's kind of playing out is a little bit more of a free market situation in the crypto markets. Although the only caveat to that is that it is backed by fiat currency, so it's still it it's still quote unquote manipulated through monetary policy because the rise of the value of Bitcoin was in large part due to the, all the money printing that was happening all around the world, not just in America. So it was also what, what Nate just and I talk about a lot is heavily speculative as well. I yeah, don't think very it's just risky. pegged to the amount of inflation that That's was going true. on around the world. There's a lot of speculation. Yes. Very, very risky. But the other thing too, is what Nate and I talk about, all the time, even in the trading class, go to mastermytrades.com if you want to understand some more. What what we talk about there? Sorry, just all chess posts in the group. Yeah, what we talk about there is that that these recent run ups that we've seen in the mar in the market in crypto, it's like it's all fake money. It's not a. It's literally almost all printed money, and it happens through stock buybacks and all those types of things, which don't necessarily hurt the average person, but eventually, eventually the chicken is going to come home to the pasture. Well, it's been happening through a lot of the money out there has been corporate bond purchasing by the Federal Reserve, and they're winding that back right now, which is hurting a bunch of people. They've been propping it up. The market basically went up in valuation 
about the amount that the Fed decided to inject into the economy and then into the market. And now they're taking all that back and essentially the whole, the bubble's just popping, you know, mm -hmm. it's popping. And so now we're going back to what a truer valuation would be. That and it sounded a little bit like Christopher Walken. <laughs> it's popping. <laughs> so uh, what's going on with Bitcoin right now? There's a few things. Now, I don't think there needs to be regulation in this. What has to happen is that people need to realize that this is a possibility. And a lot of them do realize that. I don't think you should go all in to one specific thing like cryptocurrency, just all in on one specific thing and hold it forever. There's some guy, I don't know what the high is up there, but there's some guy that's, that bought it right there. You know, that's how the price got there was someone bought it up there. And so that's not good. There's someone up there that paid 66,000 for a, for a Bitcoin up there. And, and so it hit 69 something. Did it? Yeah. I'm using uh, TradingView through Coinbase right now. So that's what the Coinbase price is yeah. coming through right You're there. You're not showing it to the people. Oh yeah. Sorry. I don't have but it put up on the screen right there now. There you go. So, yeah, if you're watching on the video, we're, at, we're looking at the charts. And I have a couple key levels if, for all you Bitcoin traders out there. It's a pretty easy thing to do right here. Uh, here's a couple key levels. Here's the high from this big run-up 2017 to 2018. Uh, the high went up there to, what, 19.8-something, I believe, just about to 20. And then this high right here, uh, before we broke out again, was, what, around 13... What is that? Three eight. or four? 13.8. 13.8. I literally can't see the numbers. I'm just yeah. trying to go off of memory right 13, there. 13.868.44. So I think it's likely we at least come back down and retest this 20,000 level. I actually think it's going to come down further than that. The reason I think it's going to come down further than that is now we have this Terra Luna thing, uh, which whatever manipulation happened to cause that, uh, you know, we can speculate on all, all of those things. Um, maybe there's manipulation happening to Bitcoin right now to scare people out of it. Listen, we know the government does not want people to be in cryptocurrencies. We know that they, they, they lose their power if people switch into a decentralized currency. That's the only way that they maintain power over everyone. And this is like the scariest thing to them. So could they potentially be working to, uh, to kill this market? Sure. Sure they could. And they could be can, part of it. And they could be successful at it also. I think that that's also an important thing for people to remember is that it's not guaranteed that we're going to run back up to the all-time highs because now some people are going to be scared about these runs on the bank. When are you going to wake up and see that whoever you bought Bitcoin through is going to freeze your withdrawals sometime? That's, you know, now you're getting into uh, stories that we've seen, well, like Cyprus and and uh, Greece and, and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you don't that's not what you're supposed to get with your cryptocurrency. You're supposed to be set apart from all those, all those different situations that we've seen happen with your regular old currencies. And so this, to me, this adds a lot more fear into the market, at least for me anyway. And uh, it just reminds me that Bitcoin, you know, it's backed by what? I find it weird. Now, listen, I like the fact that this is decentralized and the inflation rate is essentially fixed. You know, we know what that's going to be. I do find it weird that so many people who scream about like a gold standard and having real money backed by something that's real are like, yeah, but also if it's uh, backed by a 
computer algorithm, totes fine, totally fine with that. You know, it doesn't well, not actually, everyone doesn't actually need value behind it. Not everyone. Just when it's Pete, the government's Pete, currency, we it needs something behind it. Peter Schiff hates it. Oh yeah, I'm not so, trying to Peter Schiff stuff. He does ridiculous. So it's not it's not everyone. <laughs> anyway, but, but I like Nate and I probably disagree on this. I. I don't think cryptocurrency is going away. I think there's too much buy-in. There's too much acceptance from the overall market. Now, of course, this is causing a lot of fear, and it will cause a lot of fear as it continues to go down. Uh, but I think in the long run, because of the buy-in from the market, especially from governments around the world, um, and there's already institutional investors involved in Bitcoin, that it is going to recover. That's my thoughts. I could be totally wrong on that. But I do think there's enough buy-in and the underlying technology with Bitcoin can be seen as a viable alternative and decentralized alternative that is going to stable out. Now, what I hope happens is that they keep it a relatively free market so that people learn what happens when you're involved in a risky investment. And that way it actually, it ends up being the market value that it should be with a smaller rises and falls so it yeah. remains more stable what we see here see you guys have to understand and i told you my guilty pleasure this week is going back and my nerding out this week is going back and listening to ron paul talk about monetary policy and if you watch his c-span videos and his speeches from uh, the, the debates in 08 and 2012 and he talked a lot about monetary policy and the gold standard and all of these different types of things but really the important part is the the one, the economists who have it right are the Austrian economist on monetary policy. And so if you want to learn why this stuff actually happens, a good place to start to not be so bored is listening to a guy like Ron Paul, who really understands that. Um, some folks from the Mises Institute as well. But the problem, the one of the major problems is, is that the majority of Americans and the population of the world uh, doesn't not only do they not understand, they don't care to understand about this. And so what we see happening with this new modern monetary theory and everything that, uh, that's going on in the markets is now we have even larger, which was warned about by Ron Paul and lots of Austrian economists, we're seeing even larger booms and busts than ever before. And so I think personally that this recession could be definitely worse than 08 and could potentially be one of the worst recessions that we're entering into. I think we're going into a 70s uh, style recession right now. I don't think this stagflation. one, I don't think this immediately recovers in the 2020 crash. Uh, you can go back and listen. In fact, I need to find the audio just so I know where it is. We said this isn't going to last really long. As soon as they open the economy, we're going to pop back up to where it was beforehand because this is not real. The, we're not going through a, a real crash where all these companies failed and the market failed. We went through a situation where the, the companies were shut down and so the market crashed a bunch and so it rebounded really quickly. And that's not the situation we're in right now. I think we're in more of a 70s uh, situation with high inflation and they're going to have a tough time getting out of it because what, what can the Fed do? The Fed can raise rates and that's supposed to lower the demand. But the issue is they raise rates on wood, and that affects uh, maybe getting cars, getting houses, stuff like that. What's the Fed raising rates going to do uh, as far as our energy problem that we have right now? What, what are they going to do? What are they going to do uh, raising rates as far as our supply chain problem goes right now, other than 
killing demand because people can't afford anything. And so the supply chain looks like it fixed itself. Actually, we just don't need it anymore because we don't need to supply anything because no one can buy anything. Like, so what are they going to do? This is going to be something that takes a while for the market to actually adjust. And interestingly enough, in the 70s, we were also going through an energy crisis with, uh, with oil at the same time. And, and so I think we're in for, uh, I think we're in for a little bit of a long-term problem here. And if you look back at the 70s and 80s, by the way, because the, the, the recovery took about 15 years for the market to come back up, um, it basically was on a steady, the differences, I think, though, between the 70s and now was that the, in the 70s, it was on a steady decline. Uh, because we saw no economic growth. Inflation was through the roof. This is what they call stagflation. Um, similar things going to happen in this, except there is such an explosion of fiat currency that I'm gonna, I think we're going to see a much sharper decline for a longer period of time than we've ever seen. The, the decline is going to happen really fast when the bubble pops and the climb back out of it is going to be uh, going to take a long time. Whereas in the 70s, it went down gradually for a long time and then went back up gradually for a long time. So anyway, this wasn't supposed to be a stock class. It's a 1240 right now. So speaking of oil and energy, we can keep I, talking well, about that. Well, I just that. wanted to give people a base overview. Now, Nate and I are not, I wouldn't, well, I'm not an Austrian economics expert. I'm not. I, I am. So what are you yeah. going to say? No, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, Nate would be a better resource as far as uh, being an economics ex expert. But what I wanted to do is give you guys an overview and give you the resources out there and give you a place to start, um, which is listening to somebody like Ron Paul give the enthusiastic speeches he did about such a boring topic. <laughs> uh, seriously. Yeah. Um, so that way you can bring this understanding because what's happening is if you look at history, this would be my trans, I'm transitioning us. They're trying to do the same thing they did in the seventies. That didn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what's that one, uh, uh, representative's name, the female that everybody's loving now. Oh, uh, she looks like know. just your standard AOC? mom. No, the one that's like a standard mom who's going after the oil companies. Oh, she I'm not sure. Someone tell me. Yeah. Someone, someone put it in there. Anyway, I'm seeing her videos all over the place about how standard mom representative. Yes. Okay. <laughs> she just looks yeah, I don't like know who that is. Not Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> She's pretty mom. Lower uh, Lauren Bobert. Is that maybe, who it is? Maybe that's who it is. Is she nope. on the right or left? Left. Oh, she introduced legislation that. in the committee that passed to basically price control oil companies. I don't know. You just, it sounds like Elizabeth Warren, but anyway, listen, I don't know uh, who it is. I'll have to, I'll look it up for the folks, but what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that they're trying to basically repeat oh, yeah. what they did in the seventies with price control and everything. So, well, because it can't be their fault. And they also, as politicians transitioning now into the conversation about oil prices as politicians, they cannot admit that anything that they ever did was wrong. And they also have to have something to sell you as politicians. Mm -hmm. They have to be able to win reelection because that's their number one job. Uh, number two job is to win another re-election after that. And so all they are ever working towards is making sure they can get enough votes to keep their job and to keep their salary and their power and all of that. So they have to find a boogeyman to sell you. And they it can never be them. It can never be what their ideas are. And so from Reuters right here, facing record inflation, this is from Friday, Biden chides Exxon oil companies for profits. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor for today's show, and that is BetterHelp. Now, 
I get burnt out sometimes. You guys ever get burnt out? I, I do. I work tons of hours. I work at least 11 hours a day on the trading class, on the podcast, and all the other stuff that's going on. I'm going back and forth between Chattanooga and Illinois, seeing my family, my wife's family. I get really burnt out, okay? Life can be really overwhelming, and, you know, it's not just me. You're probably burnt out as well. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe you think that admitting that being burnt out means that you're admitting failure or weakness or something. That's ridiculous, all right? It is possible to get burnt out. You could be experiencing some symptoms like your lack of motivation. Maybe you're irritable. I heard that uh, from, from my wife one time as well, that maybe I was irritable. I'm tired. Now, I have narcolepsy as well, so I do get tired. Uh, for sure. So we think it always has to do with work, but that's that's not, it can be emotional issues as well. Maybe issues with friends and family, anything that's going on in your life. So BetterHelp Online Therapy, they want to remind you to prioritize yourself. You can talk with someone and figure out what is causing all of this stress in your life. All right. Charlie uses BetterHelp. He still talks to his therapist at least once a week, if not twice a week. He loves it. He started using it probably a couple of years ago and has been using it since then. He really enjoys talking to his therapist. I'm not going to tell you what they talk about, okay? But he's been able to pick the person that was right for him. They set him up with someone, and it, it's just been a really good experience so far. So they're going to be able to match you up with someone that, that works for you. This is a customized online therapy, so you're going to get video, phone, even a live chat with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You don't have to do the video. That's just an option for you. It's way more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in the under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash GML. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Joe Biden on Friday accused the U.S. oil industry and ExxonMobil in particular of capitalizing on a supply shortage to fatten their profits after a report showed inflation surging to a new 40-year record. You see, when there's a supply shortage, you're not supposed to raise your prices because supply and demand only works one direction. And that's when you've got too much supply, no demand, you're supposed to lower your prices a bunch. But when there's a low supply and super high demand, you're not supposed to raise your prices after that. That's, that's against the rules. We mm. only like supply and demand in one direction. Not the band, but in the economic sense. U.S. consumer inflation accelerated in May as gas prices hit a record high and the cost of food soared, leading to the largest annual increase in four decades. A gallon of regular gasoline costs an average of $4.99 nationwide on Friday. That's now over 5 Biden issued a warning to the industry whose profits have jumped with oil and gas prices, pointing to the gains as evidence consumers are paying more than higher, paying for more than higher labor and shipping costs. Quote from Biden, Exxon made more money than God this year. What is God's salary? Can we look that up on <laughs> salary.com? Uh, I, someone figured, someone tell me what God makes as a salary. Because Exxon makes more than that. Uh, Biden told reporters at the port of Los Angeles, one of the biggest problems causing all of our issues right now. U.S. oil companies are not using higher profits to drill more, but they're just buying back stock, he added. Now, they are doing a lot of share buybacks. All right. That, that is, in fact, the case. I believe Exxon announced a 30 
billion dollar buyback spread out over several years and they hadn't done a buyback in a while. Here's my thing, and I don't just want to come out like we always do and defend all the oil companies and the big, large companies, but what would you do in this situation if you've invested a ton of money into a company that the government's stated goal is to put your company out of business as soon as possible? By 2035. Yeah. Let's say that within the next 10 to 15 years, the government doesn't even want you to be allowed to operate as a business anymore. Not only is that like a a secret back alley plan that they've got, it's right out there in the open and their campaign promises that the thing that you do as a company, they want you to cease to exist. So when you do get a little bit of extra chunk of change, are you going to invest in things that will return you money 10 or 15 years from now? Or are you going to start paying yourself a little bit? Try to cash out some before they put you in prison for having an oil company. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to try to cash out a little bit. Mm. And also stock buybacks, those get a, a really bad rap, but those are pretty good for anyone who owns stock and anyone who has uh, any kind of retirements tied to those companies. Of course, they're really good for the people whose stock is getting bought back, like, uh, you know, the really big shareholders the the higher class shareholders in these companies but that also props up the market for the rest of the company because you as a company become a buyer of your shares and so you know that there's going to be a buyer for your shares which is good for the overall stock price <clears throat> of the company anyway and, and what you you mentioned something in there which is like defending oil companies mm-hmm. I, at the same time i'm tired of defending big corporations as well yeah but you guys have to you have to look at this from a different angle and as you mentioned, put yourself in their shoes. When you, when you lost, this is the other thing they don't really talk about. When you lost 20, 30 billion in one year, and then you're trying to like make up for that, but you also know. You're going to sit there and act like I didn't bring the receipts today? I know you have the receipts. Yeah. <laughs> but then you also know that your company is literally, they're, they're fighting to make it cease to exist. Like, what would you do? Take it, look at your own job, right? And your boss came to you and said, in 10 years, you're, we're getting rid of your job. Now, don't don't be selfish here, okay? <laughs> we the, still want I, you we, to do what's good for everyone We in still the want you to do what's good for the company, right? <laughs> you got team members that depend on you, but you're not going to have a job anymore after this is all in 10 years, okay? You're, gonna, you're basically working yourself and you're going to be obsolete. Like, what would you do, actually? You have families to take care of and things to, to do. The, the goal here, I even told Nate the other day, the goal right now going into this recession is that as a company, we are making as much money as humanly possible between the two of us and, and other folks that we have working for us. Because when the contracts start to dwindle down in the middle of the recession, we need to have a reserve to be able to invest in other things during that time that's going to make a return so that we can survive as a company. Now, people would call that price gouging or whatever, but the last few contracts that I've signed with some companies uh, has been probably the highest. Well, it actually has been the highest I've ever charged for services ever. And then you might be like, oh, well, that's just price gouging. You're taking advantage. No, I'm looking at the future and making sure that a couple years from now, when the economy is still struggling to recover and no one's offering contracts anymore, that our company can survive and keep going. That's what's happening right now. You know, plus I need an, another jet. 
Yeah, so. you got to have another jet. That's the main. <laughs> that's the main problem. All right, let's look at some of these numbers here real quick, uh, and then we'll have to move on. Now, the problem is that Exxon is making too much money. Marathon Oil, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, uh, BP, among others, they're just making way too much money right now. And not to bore you with all of the the details, but um, let me bore you with all the details. So. I even brought in a tweet here from Nina Turner, of course. By the way, I figured out who that politician was. Oh, yeah? Katie Porter. I don't even think she's still a thing, is she? Yeah, she is. Okay. When big uh, Nina Turner said, when big oil companies are making 480% higher profits year over year, blaming high gas prices on anything but corporate greed is just BS. Only she didn't say BS. She said the bull... S dash 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 word. Okay. So let's look at some of this real quick. Exxon, ticker symbol XOM. Now what I did here was I pulled the available data from them uh, on Seeking Alpha. Here's their total revenue since 2012. Uh, The average total revenue every year uh, from 2012 up to 2019, their average a year was $299 billion dollars. Uh, per year was their average. In 2020, that went down to 179 billion. Okay, so that's lower for their revenue. In 2021, now these are the numbers everyone's complaining about. Their revenue went back to 278 billion in 2021, which as you can tell from the numbers I just gave you is below the yearly average in the years before 2020, still below the average. Now, what they'll do is they'll take the increase in the revenue from 2020 to 2021, and they'll say Exxon made $100 billion more while families are struggling. This is all corporate greed. All right. What about their net income? So that's after all those expenses, what was their net income? Their average income up to 2019 over the years 2012 to 2019 was $23 billion a year. In the year 2020, they lost... $22 billion. So their average was $23 billion before that. They lost $22 billion in 2020. And then in 2021, their net income is $23 billion, which was their average before the pandemic yearly. Now, what you will hear from politicians is their net income went up $45 billion since 2020. This is price gouging. But they won't mention the fact that that was from a negative $22 billion. (laughs) The other thing you have to remember is that that negative $22 billion, that's just not minus $22 billion. That is a swing from the average of $45 billion because they should have made over $20 billion that year. Instead, they lost $22 billion. So that is actually a swing of about $45 billion. Not only did they not make money, they, they lost. lost a lot. And now for 2021, they go back to what their yearly average was for the seven years, eight years prior to that. I got to ask you And something. this is price gouging. Do you think if most companies lost $22 billion that they'd still be a company? No. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. You see the same stuff happen with Marathon Oil, who lost $1.4 billion. Now, they didn't have as many years available in the data. They went up to $946 million in, in 2021. 
So that, of course, is an increase of $2.5 billion in net income, even though they're coming from a negative number. Chevron lost $5.5 billion in 2020. They made $15.6 billion in 2021. Wow, their profits went up $21 billion since 2020, year over year. What was their average before that? $12.2 billion. So it came in a little bit above what their average was coming into that year. But once again, they, they not only have to get back on track, now they got to make up for the billions of losses that they, ha- that they had in 2020. What do people expect that you're supposed to do? This, part, this is the part that really bothers me here because when they, when they were shut down, when they couldn't sell their product, when, the, when no one was buying their product and all the prices were down really low, everyone just said, you know what? Fuck you. That's what they all said. I don't care. This isn't my problem. Deal with it on your own time. Get over it. And then when they try to... Did they get a windfall reimbursement? I don't know if they got a windfall <laughs> reimbursement or not. I'm not really sure what they got from that. A windfall credit. Windfall credit. Yeah. Windfall losses credit is what they need to be getting. No, instead, they're going to try to make up those losses in the market. And it's not even just that they're trying to make up for those. They're actually responding to the supply and demand. Uh, of Poor the, BP is way behind. Yeah. BP, they lost $20 billion in 2020. They did have a windfall profits tax because this is British Petroleum, and they do have a windfall profits tax on them now, even though they lost $20 billion in 2020. And in 2021, they made $7.5 billion. Not even, even enough to cover the losses. Not even covering 2020. They need a couple more years to cover those losses. Now, or maybe this year. They're probably going to make more money this year. So when you see, here's what people like Nina Turner. The th- three prior years, by the way, their net profits from 2017, 18, and 19 don't even cover the losses they took in 2020. Yeah. That doesn't matter. They are supposed Insane. to eat it when they get shut down and when no one's buying their product. That is on them to eat it. But when people really need their product and there's a lower supply and a higher demand, they're supposed to eat that too. Yeah. Because you know what? You've got a right to people going out there and spending billions of dollars to try and bring you whatever this commodity is that they're bringing you. Now, the biggest problem right now with gas prices is not the fact that we that the oil supply really is that low. and there's such a high demand, that's part of it. But the biggest problem is we don't have enough refineries to actually turn this oil into gas. And now what we mentioned earlier is the biggest reason for that is, is I think the last oil refinery was built in the eighties. They haven't built any new ones. And the reason why is because why would you, I don't know. Like, we're going to shut you down in 10 years. Exactly. Why would you build one? Why would you build a new one? Why would you invest in making the other ones better? It's not even that they're deciding not to build it, by the way. You know all the pain and suffering they'd have to go through to actually build the damn thing if they did decide to build it. They probably would build them if they could, and they can't even build them. And it's still their fault. And so it's not even just the price of oil. And we've got some help from uh, from people who are in the group in here that, uh, that know this industry better than we do. It's not even just the actual supply of the oil itself. The oil's got to be refined. And so they end up with this big backlog of oil supply that's all clogged up and this it's stuck like Bitcoin sales at Binance mm-hmm. that they can't get it out of there. One for transaction. The, yeah, it's just one oil. It's all those barrels wedged up in there in this one refinery and they can't get it out. And so I... and. Here's what you have to do as someone who is free market objective. You know, Ayn Rand had a response to Phil Donahue about the oil companies. He asked what she thought 
about oil companies making all this money. And this was in the 70s when they were going through their energy thing. And you know what she had to say about the oil company executives? She said that they were stupid appeasers who put up with too much and received too little for the value that they are, that they are providing the society. <laughs> she chastised the oil executives for not getting more because they were trying to appease people. And that's, honestly, that's where I am on this. And that's where you're just like, F it. I don't, I don't care if you're, if you're emotionally hurt after we have this conversation. Not only am I going to defend them. Yeah. But she's actually going to. They're not making enough. She's putting them down because they're not doing enough to make more money. <laughs> that's exactly where I come down on this stuff. When you provide something that's very important, you're going to put it out on the market and people are going to pay for it. Now, when the government comes in and they screw up the supply and they screw up the demand, it's no longer just on the oil companies for the problem. The oil companies can't just come out there and build all the refineries they want. They can't drill everywhere they want. We know that the, that the government is trying to shut down oil production. That is a clear stated goal of the government to shut down oil production. Why is this a surprise to anyone? And how are they possibly able to still shift the blame? over to the oil companies after doing this. And this goes back to not having any gratitude. And I think Ayn Rand and you are making a big point here, which is like people think they're just owed oil and oil, they're owed gas and cars and all these things that we have in life, cell phones and everything. Oil literally is in almost every part of our life. It was one of literally the biggest discoveries ever to refine it and use it for energy. Like the, the, the society that we've created in the last hundred years because of oil is absolutely insane. And people think that we would just have this life regardless. And it's like, so the, the lack of gratitude and everything that's going on with this type of thing, it's like, maybe, maybe gas should be like $20 a gallon. Anyway, <laughs> it, I mean, think about it. They like, should charge what? whatever people will pay for it. And it is, if the government's going to restrict the supply, then the, the blame needs to be placed where it needs to be placed, which is the people that are restricting the supply. And, and messing up the demand for that product. They should charge whatever the market will bear. And we're about to see what the market's going to bear. Charlie had to dip out, and I'm going to have to go through the last article here without him, which was supposed to be the main topic. I didn't realize we were going to spend so much time uh, talking about all this stuff. And maybe we do have enough refining uh, capacity here in the U.S. I probably, uh, missed, I probably missed that part of the conversation just a little bit. I want to tell you guys about this upcoming online summit from Mikkel Thorup at expatmoney.com. Over 30 experts are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It is free to attend. And this is an online summit that is free to attend. It's going to have 30 experts on it. expatmoneysummit.com. The link will be in the show notes. Reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. There's plenty of that out there. So you're going to learn about how to secure your own Plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions, and get in and out of different countries' borders. You'll learn about a libertarian island safe haven, private cities, Communities on the ocean, food and energy, independent towns in Latin America, all kinds of great stuff. Go register now for free, expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what's happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free, expatmoneysummit.com. 
com. We talked about the compromise. Anytime you see the left and the right compromise on something, that means you're going to lose some liberties. All right. So that's not good. And now it's coming down to a gun reform deal in the Senate. Now, we don't know exactly where everyone's going to come down on this. There is a possibility that because this doesn't go far enough, that some of the uh, Democrats won't go for it because it's not going far enough. And they'd also have some incentive to do that because then you don't actually get the compromise where the Republicans compromised on something. And you could still say, well, that's because they weren't going to do what was necessary and we couldn't give that to them. Uh, like we did the spending bills earlier in the year. And so that's still a big possibility. But from Reuters, in a potential breakthrough toward the first significant U.S. gun law in decades, a bipartisan group of senators on Sunday announced an agreement on the framework for a firearm safety bill with enough Republican support to advance in the narrowly divided Senate. The plan, lauded by President Joe Biden, includes support for state red flag laws, keeping firearms for potentially dangerous people, tougher criminal background checks for gun buyers under age 21, and a crockdown on straw purchases by people buying weapons for others who could not pass a background check. Okay, so now they're coming together on this. We got 10 Republicans. Let me tell you who they are real quick. And here's the funny part, part about who these people are. None of them are up for re-election in this year's midterms. I don't think that that's a coincidence, but they're all either retiring or they're not up for re-election. So we got Senator Bob Rob Portman of Ohio, Richard Burr in North Carolina, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, Roy Blunt of Missouri, and they are retiring. And then the other ones, uh, Cornyn Tillis and Romney, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, and Lindsey Graham are not up for re-election in this cycle. Mitt Romney said the legislation will save lives while also protecting the constitutional rights of law-abiding Americans. It deserves broad support. The main thing I've got an issue with, and I've got an issue with all of it, so here's some of the stuff. The measure would provide federal funding to encourage states to adopt red flag laws. So what they're going to do is take some money from the people and then they're going to hold it over the head and say, hey, if you want this money, then you've got to have red flag laws like they do with a lot of other things. Uh, those would be keeping guns away from people found by courts to be a significant danger to themselves or others. I'm sure the courts are going to be very stringent on this, just like they are with your privacy. Congress would provide more funding to expand mental health programs, including ones run in schools, and would crack down on those who evade gun licensing requirements or illegally buy guns on behalf of others, which are called straw purchases. I don't know a single person who's ever done one of those before. The plan also would require new government checks on those under 21 who try to buy guns so that juvenile mental health records can be reviewed, along with checks with state and local law enforcement agencies. So those are the things. The biggest problem here to me, are the red flag laws. Now, all of them are problems, but the biggest problem to me are the red flag laws. And I want everyone to remember, if you're a Republican and one of these people are your senators, these people don't need your vote, okay, because they are part of the problem, like almost every other person in the Senate is, okay? Red flag laws. This is something that's going to start off with just this, oh, this simple common sense, rarest of situations, red flag laws, just like a lot of other things like surveillance, like uh, the Department of Homeland Security, like all these other things. And then eventually 
we're going to be talking about whether or not people that are members of certain political groups need to have these red flag laws exercised against them. I cannot believe that we have people compromising on this after a couple of years where people who didn't support getting uh, getting a specific pharmaceutical product uh, were domestic terrorists. Of course, uh, people who protested on behalf of that, uh, where people who uh, didn't like what their kids were being subjected to in school were called domestic terrorists, of course. Um, and, and we're still going to come out here and give the, the government the power to take away your right to bear arms. And of course, it's only for uh, obvious circumstances until it's not anymore, like all of these things eventually end up being. They start with just this little bit. They're very good at taking a little bit of your liberties at a time because they know that they can build on that. And this is an annoying thing that Republicans always do, which is that they make compromises in the wrong direction. They are terrible at negotiating. They constantly make compromises in the wrong direction. Their compromises are hardly ever in the direction of reducing government power or increasing your liberty or the liberties that the government's taken away from you. They hardly ever do that. They let the left have the upper hand on the negotiation all the time because they don't want to look bad, because it's bad for them politically to look like they don't care about kids, and then they end up compromising on how many of your rights they are going to give away on others' behalf. And so just keep in mind all the people that are involved in this. We'll see if this actually passes. We got to be hesitant for these red flag laws. And I'm not, you know, there are circumstances where someone is an obvious problem. And honestly, I don't know what to do in that situation. Uh, I don't know how these powers are not going to be abused in the future. I can't give the government the power to, I can't give the government the power to do this. I don't have the power to do it. I can't give the government the power to do it um, because they're going to abuse it and they're going to keep widening, broadening the people who qualify for this. And eventually it will be domestic terrorists like us, all us domestic terrorist libertarians out there who are going to end up qualifying for these red flag laws. Maybe not next year, but what do you think our political environment is going to be 10 years from now? It's going to be worse. Sorry. Just telling you, it's going to be worse. Sorry to end on such a terrible note right there, but that's the way it is. Okay, so if you enjoyed today's episode and all that random oil and Bitcoin talk that we did earlier, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the children that they need to follow this podcast because because I, I said so and because you said so. Listen, when you actually give a referral to someone, that's way better than us running ads. When they hear from a friend that they like this podcast, just like when you hear from a friend that Top Gun was good, uh, you're more way more likely to see it than when you see a commercial for something. So help us on our ad spend by doing some more referrals for us and telling your friends and your family to listen to this show. If you do all that, and I mean all of it, we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Same Liberty Channel, different Liberty time. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.